Our family is kind of like a bad roofing job. Um, the, the, the truth of it is, I haven't done much roofing, but sometimes with the guys in the church, we put a roof on, and we'd be up there on the roof, and the guys would be throwing the shingles on, and kind of stapling them down, and they'd say, that's a little crooked, but it'll look good from the road. <laughs> I, thought, I think that's true about our family. It's like, well, we look good from the road. But if you get too close, <laughs> well, you'll see some things that don't always look good. Is your family like that? Yeah, it is. Yeah, it is. And it's interesting because when, when I read the Bible and the book of Genesis, the, the families of the Bible, they kind of look good from a distance too. But up close, <laughs> not so much. It's not a story of heroes. Oh, I got a couple of introductions I want to make uh, because Aid and Redemption is here. Where, where do you go? Did you send him away? Yeah, okay. Cast him in the outer door. Oh, there he is. There's Aiden Redemption. I wanted you to meet my grandson there. He's from Oregon. That's why he has a flannel shirt on. Yeah. He doesn't eat meat or anything. Yeah. I'm just kidding. Yeah. And then there's Aspen Gale. Is she, is she still here? Ah, uh, and there's Cece and Aspen Gale over there, our granddaughter. And you can clap for her too, or else she's going to feel, yeah. You know, uh, Lois and I have. Uh, had a quiet moment right over there while we were singing a carol and put my arm around her. She put her arm around me. And we didn't talk, but I know what we were thinking, weren't we? We were thinking, wow, has God been good to us? God's so good to us. You feel that way about the gifts that God has given you and the kindness that God has shown you, the mercy that God has given to you. And you know it's, it's, it's not because you have it all put together. It's not because you deserve God's blessing. As a matter of fact, my message titled this morning in my series, Christmas in Genesis, is why would God bless you? <laughs> it's, that's how it goes like that. Why would God bless you? Why? Why would God bless you? Yeah. And we're going we're gonna to answer the question. That's rhetorical. Yeah. We're going to answer the question. Yeah. And we're going to do that by looking at these, uh, so these prophecies. Now, there's seven, uh, there are at least seven messianic prophecies. There are many pictures of Jesus in Genesis, but there are seven, specifically seven messianic prophecies that we've been studying. And he's like, you know, you think about the one we're going to study today is the last messianic prophecy given in Genesis. So if you want to get ahead of me, you can open your Bible to Genesis 49 and verse 10. That's where it's found. It's the seventh of seven messianic prophecies. And this prophecy is a fascinating prophecy that was given 1,700 years before its fulfillment in Jesus when Jesus was born. 1,700 years. And uh, it's, it's, a, it's also a prophecy that will, that when we study it, I think it'll leave you with a bit of joy in your heart and will help you, you know, to have a merry, merry Christmas. And this is what we really want to see. And there's just three things that really stand out to me in this. Now, here's the setup, though, for this, just so you understand that we're jumping into this and you understand the context. This is the backstory. You know, the book of Genesis, if you think about it, we did the little outline of Genesis. Think about the history of humanity in verses and chapters 1 through 11. Kind of like human, the beginning of human history. Not the whole history, but the beginning of human history. And that kind of follows the four, the four things. Creation and the fall and the flood and the scattering of the nations. That would be Genesis 1 through 11. But then when you get to Genesis chapter 12, something really interesting happens. We're introduced to a man whose name is Abraham, and there is this covenant that God makes with Abraham. And then the history of the Hebrews is chapter 12 through chapter 50, and you have four basic men that we kind of call patriarchs, Abraham, 
Isaac, Jacob, and Fred. I've just seen if you're listening. Fred was like, dude, that's great. I did not know I was in the Bible. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph. I don't know why I said that. That's just craziness. Anyway, those four, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph. And what's interesting is that in these men and these patriarchs, if you read the stories of their families, my first reading of this that I read kind of swiftly, I remember reading this and thinking, you know, this is the Bible. These are the families of the Bible. And these are the children of Israel. And these are the sons of Jacob, you know, Jacob's sons. And the tribes of Israel are named after each of Jacob's sons. And so you would think that you would have a heroic bunch right there. Right? You would just think that these are some fine people right there. And when you read the stories, they're not so fine. You just think, this is not a cluster of heroes here. These are broken people. These are messed up people. These are people that don't even look good from the road sometimes. They're troubled. And that, so the story of the Bible isn't like, here are the good people, try to be like the good people. That's not the story of the Bible. The story of the Bible is, why would God bless these people? Why would God bless these people? And the answer is given in the whole grand drama of the uh, unfolding drama of redemption in the Bible. And, and so in Genesis chapter 49, we get there, we're, you know, there's only 50 chapters, so you're at the end. And what's happening now is that is that Jacob is about to die. And Jacob has these sons, and the sons are going to be heads of the tribes of Israel. And in chapter 49, he's going to bless them. You would sort of expect that the firstborn son was going to be the head of all the others, but he doesn't do that. In Genesis, they keep plot twisting like that all the time, especially in the area where, you know, the firstborn is supposed to have the blessing. It's like there's always a plot twist, and it's not the firstborn. The hands are switched, or the secondborn, or the first, the one that's born, and the other one's born first. And it's like there's this literary theme in Genesis that God just keeps saying, no, I'm going to bless the unlikely one. I'm going to bless the unusual one. I'm going to put my blessing on the one that I put my blessing on in spite of himself. And, and so the, the prophecy there is 1,700 years before Christ, and the, the part we're going to cherry-pick today is the part where the blessing is given to Judah. And, and the reason is, you know, these seven uh, prophecies, the first one is the prophecy of the seed of the woman. That's in Genesis chapter 3 and verse 15. And um, in, in other words, that there would be uh, a descendant of a woman, specifically, that's... a, a you know, reference to the virgin birth, and it's a, it's a reference to Jesus in Genesis 3.15. In Genesis 4.15, the line follows Seth. In Genesis 9.26, it follows Shem. In Genesis 12, we, we talked about that at length, you know, last week, the line comes from, from Abraham. And the Bible says in, in the New Testament that God, that God preached the gospel to Abraham when he gave him the Abrahamic covenant, which is an interesting thing. In Genesis, in Genesis 26 and verse 3, it follows Isaac's seed in chapter 46 and verse 3, Jacob's seed. And you can see all these when you take your Bible and you compare that, those passages to Luke chapter 3. You see that in Luke chapter 3, these men are named as, you know, the progenitors of Christ. That's the idea there. And then you get to this one in chapter 49, and, and here's how it reads. I'll just read it to you. And verse 10 is the key thing, and I'm going to show you three things that really stand out that I think will make your heart sing. Here's the blessing that he gives to Judah. Verse 8 is where it begins, and it goes to verse 12. Judah, you are he whom your brothers shall praise. Judah, if you remember when he was named, when, Leah, when he was born to Leah, and, and Leah said she named him Judah, which means praise. So he says, Judah, you are one, you are he whom your brothers will praise. 
Your hand will be on the neck of your enemies. Your father's children will bow down before you. Judah is a lion's whelp, a lion cub. But the prey, my son, you have gone up. He bows down. He lies down as a lion, as a lion who will rouse him. And here in verse 10 comes the major part of the prophecy. The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor a lawgiver from between his feet until Shiloh comes, and him and to him shall be the obedience of the people. I'm going to read verses 11 and 12 in a minute because it's talking about the prosperity of Israel. But the basic part of the prophecy is saying this. It's saying Judah is going to have the scepter, the rule, going to make the judgments over the other tribes. And that's going to happen until this appointed one comes, this sometimes translated Shiloh. Okay, so there... So to understand this and, and, to, and to benefit from it, here's, here's what I want you, you to kind of think. You know, think about yourself. How do you deserve the blessing? Now, maybe the best way that I can illustrate that before I go on is to talk about the difference between grandmas and moms. You ever notice how different they are? You say, wait a minute. If you're a grandma, you were a mom at one time. Yeah, but when you become a grandma, your theology gets all messed up. Let me tell you how this works. My mom and I were talking. She's a grandmother. And she was talking about one of her grandchildren. It wasn't one of my kids or my grand. It was like one of her grand. And she said, you know, she said he was so adorable. He was just sitting at the chair at the table. And they were all eating their Christmas dinner. And when he got, when he got done, he had, he'd been really good. But he started to squirm and wiggle. And they were chastising him. You know, his mother was saying, you don't want you to squirm. I don't want you to wiggle. And my mom says this. My mom says, so I said, wait. God put the wiggle in him. Because he needs cookies. I'm like, are you seriously? Because that's never what you said when I was a kid. It was kind of like, the devil's making you wiggle right now. I'm going to beat that out of you right now. You stop wiggling right now. You're not even saved. You are, you are going to fry in, in hell. You stop wiggling. That's, well, maybe it didn't sound exactly like that. But it was sort of like that. It's like, grandmas forget kids are depraved. Did you ever notice that? But we are. And, and, you know, we have this kind of dark cloud hanging over our soul. Like, why would God bless us if he really knows us? He knows we're worse than a bad roofing job. We are not really all that blessable. We don't have enough merit badges to be an Eagle Scout. You know what I'm saying? We're not going to pass muster. We've got these dark things. in our and, and if we spend the rest of our life doing a bunch of good stuff, you know, it doesn't make up for the bad stuff that kind of haunts our conscience. Now, into this, into this kind of thinking, you know, you get a story like this in the Bible. This is, look at these rogues. Look at these losers. Look at these cheaters. Look at these immoral people. And look how God pursued them to bless them. And, and they believed the promises of God. And God, God blessed them. And this is what he's saying. Judah, who, who doesn't have a perfect record, if you go back in Genesis 38 and read that, it's kind of like R-rated, you know, not good. And yet God says he's going to give Judah the rule over the other tribes, and that rule is going to continue until the Shiloh comes. So there are these three things. There's that scepter, and there's that Shiloh. What is that? There's one other thing I'll tell you in a little bit. And those are the three things I think that kind of pop out in the passage to me. When I identify those things, they're really helpful to me. It was this uh, scepter that Judah. So what happens is it takes about 600 years for the tribe of Judah to begin to rule. But God promised it was going to happen, and so it did. And then they ruled consistently for a thousand years, up until the time of Christ. As a matter of fact, um, Orthodox Jewish people do believe this is a messianic promise here. And the next part about Shiloh, they believe it to be a messianic promise. They believe it's a, it's a, it's a description of the Messiah that's going to come. And so the rule 
then, so Judah rules over the other tribes, historically does this, all the way up until the time of Christ, and then after Christ's death and the fall of, uh, of, 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 of Jerusalem in A.D. 70, the records are all burned, and, and they, don't understand, they don't know who the tribes are, and so there's no evidence after that. Judah's lost its rule, its scepter. It's, uh, the scepter is what the king holds as a sign of his sovereignty and his rule, and Judah, the tribe, loses its rule at that time and never gets it back. Think about that for just a minute. This is a prophecy of, Jesus, of the Messiah. And when Jesus dies, that's when Judah loses its rule and doesn't get it back. In other words, that's a powerful uh, pr- uh, prophetic uh, promise um, that should strengthen your faith. Now remember the original audience of Genesis are the children of Israel probably in Moab getting ready to go over to the promised land. And they've got promises to claim. They've got all kinds of wonderful things to claim. But they also have very deadly enemies to face. And so they're given these stories, these true stories. They're reminded of their history so that they will be courageous and they will go and face their enemies. And so that they will believe that God is with them and that God will bless them. And it's the same with us today when we apply that to us. We have enemies, enemies of our soul. People who hate us beings who hate us and who hate who hate our God and would destroy our lives and we also are imperfect and we also have made mistakes and we also have a dark or checkered past and we also don't feel particularly blessable and we know that we're a few merit badges short of being an Eagle Scout and we don't look good not even probably from the road and we have that nagging feeling that's in our own soul and we're in the same place we have enemies to face and then there are these kind of promises that God says you know I want to bless you I want to give this to you I want to help you I want to bless your life I want to be with you but we are tempted not to believe that God is going to bless us and that's why we go back to stories like this and we see that if God says he's going to bless the tribe he's going to bless the tribe if God says that Shiloh is going to come out of that tribe it's what's going to happen and that is what happens, and, and that's the, the idea of the scepter there. Maybe you, maybe you notice, some of you may have noticed um, on, on uh, the internet or I mean, on television that the Prime Minister of Israel, Benjamin Netanyahu, uh, who I am assuming is Jewish, right? He gave a Merry Christmas blessing to Christians. How many of you saw that? Raise your hand. Like, it's kind of interesting because you know, people say, should you say Merry Christmas? What if people aren't Christians? You know, it's like, well, Benjamin Netanyahu's a Jewish guy, and he had the sense to say Merry Christmas to Christians, so, you know, that was kind of neat. Anyway, quite a statesman there. And he got on, and he told about, he said, you know, greetings, Merry Christmas. He also mentioned, oh, and visit Israel. <laughs> and so, it's kind of a big industry there. And, uh, uh, but anyway, um, you know, he, 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 rec- he recognized that, that when Jesus came, it changed the world. He recognized in, in his Christmas greeting that the whole world historically changed when Jesus came. Your life can change too when Jesus came, you claim his promises. But you're sitting there thinking, well, I, I'm not sure I'm blessable. Um, I have enemies that I face. But you need to remember that when God makes a promise, he's going to keep a promise over a long period of time. And that's what he does. And so in this case, that's what you want to remember when you think about the scepter. And what about that Shiloh thing? You look in the next verse, uh, the scepter will not depart from Judah or the lawgiver from between his feet till Shiloh comes. Next part of the verse. Till Shiloh comes, and to him shall be the obedience of the people. Most Bible scholars and Jewish Bible scholars and Christian Bible scholars believe this is also a messianic reference. And that the Shiloh, there's a translation question in there, but the, 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 the pointed one or the Shiloh, and the Shiloh means rest. We know that, that Jesus is, there's a, that the rest, the Sabbath, you know, is a picture of Jesus who's our ultimate rest and peace. And this reminds us kind of the Christmas story when you get to Luke chapter 2, one of the prettiest parts of the Christmas narrative in Luke chapter 2 is what the angels say and what the angels declare, peace on earth, goodwill to men 
When Jesus is born, the angels are declaring peace is possible now. Shiloh has come. There isn't any peace in the world. Last night was unique. It was the first time in my life. I was driving here for the service. And it's the first time in my life I had a tremor of concern about terror. The first time it ever happened in my life. I never remember going to church and thinking, I hope nothing bad happens at church tonight. But there are people who want us to believe, and they would if they could, they would do terrible things to people who are followers of Jesus Christ. There are reasons for us to be concerned in our world. It's not a peaceful world, and it isn't going to be a peaceful world until the Prince of Peace comes and establishes peace and wins the hearts of all. And that's why Christmas is such a beautiful story to us. Peace on earth, goodwill toward men. Hey, let me show you one more thing. Okay, so you've got this scepter. There's this promise that Judah's going to rule, and, he, and, uh, and, the, and the tribe does. And, and then you have, and, and Jesus is coming from that tribe, right? And then you have until Shiloh comes, Messiah. But there's something else here that's really interesting. If you back up to verse 8 and notice how Judah is described. Judah, you are he whom your brothers shall praise. Your hand shall be on the neck of your enemies. Your father's children shall bow down before you. Judah, verse 9, is a lion's whelp. From the prey, my son, you have gone up. He bows down, he lies down as a lion, as a lion who will rouse him. This whole lion, Judah, lion, does that, that sound familiar to you? Have you ever heard that anywhere before? Lion, Judah, let me help you. Take your Bible, turn to Revelation chapter 5. In Revelation chapter 5, you have a picture of heaven. What does it look like in heaven? In Revelation 4 and 5, it's a picture of the throne room in heaven. And Revelation chapter 4 and 5 are powerful, beautiful reading. When the kids were little, I had a habit, I had a uh, tradition. In, uh, and that is that we would play Christmas music. We would not play Christmas This is the way it is, regardless of what anybody says, the way it was. We did not play Christmas music. I mean, the kids might have when I left, out of, you know, rebellious heart or something. But no Christmas music until the afternoon of Thanksgiving Day. No Christmas music until the afternoon of Thanksgiving Day. Make a note of that, Okay. After that, Christmas music. But now, before that, in the month of November, this was my tradition for years when the kids were little, for all of November, I would just play Handel's Messiah over and over and over and over and over again. This great Handel's oratorio chorus and arias and so forth, singing about Jesus. It's the life of Jesus in, in an oratorio. And it's powerful, you know. And, and there's a point of climax where they sing, and he shall reign forever and ever, the hallelujah chorus. And, you know, there's the old tradition that when the queen first heard it, she was either so tired from listening to the, or because she was so honored of Jesus, she got to her feet. And when she got to her feet, everybody got to their feet. And today, all over the world, when people sing Handel's Messiah and they get to the hallelujah chorus, people who have any sense get up on their feet and they stand because Jesus is going to reign forever and forever and forever. And in, in the throne room of heaven, there was this scene. John is writing about it. There's this scene in the throne room of heaven. And then there's the one on the throne. And then there's a scroll. And the scroll is the unfolding judgments of the world. And nobody's worthy to open the scroll. And this is troubling, right? And the Bible says John began to weep. He began to heavily weep because no one was worthy to open the scroll. Until finally they found someone who was worthy to open the scroll. Let me just read it to you. And I saw in the right hand of him, Revelation 5, who sat on the throne, a scroll written inside and on the back, sealed with seven seals. I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, who is worthy to open the scroll and loose its seals? No one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or, lose, or look at it. 
So I wept much because no one was found worthy to open and read the scroll and to look at it. But one of the elders said to me, do not weep. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah has prevailed. Oh, man, you guys missed the great. This is how we're supposed to explode in joyful applause and amen and weep. That's the part right there. It's like wake your soul up right there. The lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered. He has prevailed. He has overcome all of his enemies. The lion of the tribe of Judah will not be defeated by anybody or by anything ever. The lion of the tribe of Judah, the baby that was born in Bethlehem, grew up and he will rule and reign over the whole universe forever. That's the way it's going to be. The line of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has prevailed to open his scroll and to loose the seven seals. And I looked, and behold, in the midst of the throne of the four living creatures, in the midst of the elders, stood a lamb as it had been slain. How did the lion of the tribe of Judah prevail? By dying as a lamb. By dying as a lamb. The lion, who is the lamb, who is the lion? And now, he says, in having the seven horns, the seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent into all the earth, he came and he took the scroll out of the right hand of him who sat on the throne. Now when he took the scroll, the four living creatures and 24 elders fell down before the lamb, each having a harp and golden bowls of incense, and they are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a song. Want to hear it? Yeah, okay, I'll read it to you. You are worthy to take the scroll, open the seals. You were slain, and you have redeemed us to God by your blood. Out of every tribe and tongue and people and nation, you've made us to kings and priests before God, and we will reign on the earth. And then I looked, and I heard the voice of many angels around the throne, and the living creatures, and the elders, and the number of them was 10,000 times, 10,000 and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing and every creature which is in heaven and on earth and under the earth and such as are in the sea and all that are in them, I heard them saying, Blessing and honor and glory and power be to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb forever and ever. Then the four living creatures said, Amen. And the 24 elders fell down and worshiped him who lives forever and forever. And he shall reign forever and ever. Who is this? This slain lamb is the lion of the tribe of Judah that God told us about 1,700 years before Jesus was born. You can face your enemies. You can face your fears. You can claim the promises of God. You can build your life on the promises of God. Merry Christmas.